0: Welcome to the Becoming Your Best Podcast with Steve Schallenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national bestselling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger.
1: Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger. And as you know, we are on a mission to help organizations and individuals become their very best. And to be such a force for good that they lift and build individuals and organizations wherever they go. Now we do this by helping people to master the principles of highly successful leaders. And one of the ways that we can better accomplish this is to bring you great resources that have been among the best in their lives. And today I am excited to have as our guest Richard Iyer. And let me just tell you a little bit about my dear friend, Rick Iyer. Rick and his lovely wife, Linda, have lectured throughout the world on marriage and parenting, work and family balance, and and life phases. And the Iyers have written, get this, 50 books, including a number of books that have been number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And their latest book is being released this week. It's titled, Life in Full. I mean, right now, new this week. I can't wait to uh, read it and get after it. Now, Rick and Linda are the parents of nine children and 27 grandchildren, and I expect counting. <laughs> and yeah. they, have, they have appeared on most major national network shows, including Oprah, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. Now, Rick is a Harvard MBA And he is also president of his own management consulting company and is a ranked senior tennis player. And as a matter of fact, I know he had a big match yesterday in 90 degree weather. And after a long battle, he came out on top. (laughs) Well, good. Well, Rick, let's get right into things. Welcome. We are so excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you,
2: Stephen. As you know, I do a lot of interviews, but rarely do I get to do one with a good friend, a friend from 30 or 40 years. So I just don't know if we can handle this in 30 minutes. We may have to talk (laughs) fast because you and I are going to have a lot to talk about.
1: Oh, that's for sure. And I've been thinking about the Ayers all day, both Rick and Linda, who are just amazing people. And uh, one of the words I've been thinking of is serendipity. I first heard that word from the Ayers. And uh, tell us about serendipity. What is that, Rick?
2: Well, it happens to be my favorite word, as you know, Steve. (laughs) And and here's why. In fact, that's actually a perfect segue into the book and the other things we want to talk about. I think as a young man, I was affected by a malady that is very common among really aggressive young people. It was certainly common at Harvard Business School. And that is that you... You want to control everything. You want to be in charge. You want to be you want to act and not react. You don't want you don't want to let anything get in the way of your plans. And and there's some virtues in that attitude, but as you get a little older and this has happened to you too, Steve, what you find is that there really is not that much that you control and that you have to be somewhat of an opportunist. You have to see opportunities rather than trying to force them to happen all the time. And so when I ran across the word serendipity and I read the definition, uh, the actual definition given to it by the man that coined the word, a man named Horace Walpole, who was the son of a prime minister of England in the 19th century, and he said, serendipity is a state of mind whereby a person through awareness and acute observation frequently find something better than that which he was seeking and I, I love that from the minute I read that definition because that doesn't say you want to be a ski bum and wander around and let things happen to you on the contrary it says you have goals you're seeking something but you're aware enough and in tune enough with what's going around you that you frequently find a better path or or something better than that which you were seeking and that's what we're all looking for. We all, we all want to have a plan, but we want to be flexible enough to see other opportunities as we're going down the path. We don't want to be a horse with blinders on who only sees his own goals and the things he can control because that makes for a narrow, somewhat selfish person. But if you open your mind to this serendipity, There's opportunities all around us, and so few people see them, Steve.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that concept, uh, Rick. And especially as people are trying to become their best. You know, they're always asking this question, well, how can I do better? What does my best look like? Well, if they're open to this idea that it may even be different than what they had in mind at first, it opens so many more possibilities,
2: Absolutely. And, and what this book we're going to get into, this new book, Life in Full, the subtitle is Maximizing Your Longevity and Your Legacy. And the research we've done, Steve, indicates that the legacy most people have as they get to the autumn of their lives, as we call it, usually results from serendipity. It results from things they've noticed that other people didn't see. It results from having priorities with their family and their relationships and learning that relationships are not like achievements. I mean, you know, I can set a goal to make a million dollars next year and I can segment it and plan and strategize and so on. And that's an achievement, but a relationship, which is much more important than an achievement with my wife, with my children, with friends of mine. Those are things that you can't quite control in the same way. What you can do, though, is be observant and aware and see what people need and see how you can strengthen their lives. That is a better skill. Frankly, it's a more mature skill than being an aggressive guy who goes out and steps on whoever he has to to get to the top.
1: Well, that's that's a wonderful thought. And really, when you think about it, Uh, When we have great relationships uh, and when we get to the end of the game, those are things that may count more than anything else we've achieved in life. And indeed, when we have great relationships, people will do anything to, uh, to contribute their best. They don't want to let you down. And so this is the fabric that holds us together. And so spending time there makes such a huge difference. So that's a great point that you're making.
2: Well, you know, I have an old uh, uh, friend who's a, a really interesting guy. He's a country doctor, and he's, he's been in attendance, I guess, at thousands of uh, people's last breath, sort of as they're fading from this world. And He makes the point, and with him it's a very personal one. He says, You never hear anybody on their deathbed who says, Oh, I just wish I'd spend a little more time with the business. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're all the regrets people have in this world are that they didn't focus more on the relationships and on the people who really matter in their lives. And frankly, Steve on their own on their own life and their own health, their own strength. In fact, One of the main points we make in life in full is that, uh, you know, if you're 65 right now, that's like being 45 a generation ago. I mean, a generation ago, a 45-year-old would say, hey, what am I going to do in the next 20 years? I've probably got another good 20 years in my life. Well, that's what 65-year-olds or 70-year-olds are saying today. We've got another 20 years. What are we going to do with that time What's our legacy going to be? And, and when you start asking yourself that question, then you, you are led to the idea that it's people that matter and it's relationships that matter. And the point you made, Steve, if you're leading a company, try focusing more on your relationships and on the needs of your people and a little less on your bottom line. And guess what? The bottom line will take care of itself.
1: That's exactly right. And if our listeners don't get anything more than that today, uh, that'll be worth uh, all of the time that we've spent together because that's what we see over and over. All right. Now, I'm really excited to talk about this book. uh, But before we do, let's go back a little bit. Uh, And we all start out as babies with unlimited potential. And yet somewhere along the way, something happens to a lot of people and they resign themselves to mediocrity or a life that they're not really totally happy with. So what was your life like growing up, and what experience or realization helped you see that you could really be successful, that you could leave a legacy, that you could do more?
2: You know, that's a great question, Steve, and it's a tough one because you wonder what your life would have been like if it had taken a different path. But but when I think of pivot points, first thing that comes to me, and this may seem like a strange thought, my dad died when I was 15 years old. And up until that time, I was just kind of a happy-go-lucky kid living a kind of a normal suburban life. But when I lost my father and I had to sort of come to grips much earlier than I would have otherwise with who I was and what I really wanted to do and where I really wanted to be in life, that made a huge difference to me and I started for the first time I can recall actually setting goals. I started for the first time saying, hey, I don't have a dad, I don't have any help anymore, I don't have any money, I don't have any leg up, I don't have, I don't have anything going for me except myself and maybe my faith. And I better just start being a little more self determining. And and this is a funny thing to bring up, but I remember I I went to Boys State, which was a, a an organization for leaders from high schools. I was an officer in high school, and I went to this thing. And for the first time, I was around other kids my age who who really had goals. I, I'd hear kids saying, "Hey, I want to go to Harvard." "Hey, I want to run a hedge fund." "Hey." I, you know, I want to I want to do something. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, I had no clue about that kind of thinking, but it began to rub off on me. And I think the early, if I look back at some of the goals I set as a teenager, they were a little silly. They were a little simplistic, but at least they were goals. At least I was thinking I may be able to determine what my life looks like. And for me, that was a big, big turning point. And you know, I, I probably was a little too single minded. For example, I mentioned Harvard. I decided I was gonna go to Harvard and people would say, Well, okay, what's your backup list? What are what are the other schools you're gonna apply to? What are the other schools you go to if you don't get in at Harvard? And I would say, I don't have it I don't have a plan B. I'm going <laughs> to go to Harvard. I don't care what it takes, I'm gonna go there. And now, you know, I'm not sure I'd recommend that kind of thinking to other people, but For me, at that point in my life, uh, it it was good thinking. And then, this ties into what we asked earlier, what I had to add to that as I got older and got a little more maturity was the serendipity idea. The fact that, yeah, you should have a plan, but you actually should not lock yourself in on it so tightly that everything else is a failure. Because who knows how presumptuous are you if you think you know enough to mark the best plan for yourself. You might get a tentative plan in mind, but boy, oh boy, if you're aware of things, you're going to see some better ideas out there than what you had in your mind to start out with.
1: Well, thanks for sharing this uh, tremendous experience and realization of a turning point with the passing of your father and discovery of goals. And they are so powerful in our lives and they can bring so much inspiration because they captivate or can captivate our imagination they can stimulate us to the possibilities in our life and as we start setting goals and get experience with them and exercise some serendipity it becomes fun and we can enjoy the things that are happening along but the goals well-founded inspired goals can also bring balance in our life Uh, as we're careful to not just set one say in a professional Bases, but also to set them personally in, in our relationship so that they bring see, balance.
2: Now, now, see, that's a big, big point. I'm glad you brought up the, the idea of balance, Steve, because I'll tell you something funny. You mentioned we've done 50 books. I'm going to contrast two books I've written and, and try to make this point even a little stronger. When I was very young, a young management consultant, not very far out of graduate school, I wrote a book called Life Planning. And it was all about setting goals, having plans, and stopping at nothing to reach those goals. Well, that, if, I had, if I had my way, I would go round up all 50,000 copies of that book, and I would burn them. And I'll tell you, that, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It didn't have this balance aspect to it. It was all about control and all about accomplishment. Many years later, actually about 20 years later, I wrote another book called Life Balance, which is a whole different approach. It doesn't negate the idea of setting goals, but it makes the point you did, Steve, that if you have only one-dimensional goals, you're probably going to self-destruct. It's, uh, we, we work a lot with business executives, as you know, and one of the things I find interesting is to say to them, Tell me the goals for your company. Oh, my gosh, they can do that in spades. They'll lay out for you their <laughs> pro formas, their mission statement, their target goals. It's all there. It's all in their mind. It's almost happened already in their heads. But then if you say to them, interesting, now, now uh, on the same vein, tell me what your goals are for your family, for your, for your children, for your parenting, for your marriage, for your spouse, for your extended family. And I get some of the blankest looks you've ever seen. Like, what do you mean, goals for my family? Well, I, well, I, I want to be a good, I uh, want to be a good husband. I, I want to be a good, <laughs> a good, good dad. That's my goal. And I say to them, hey, how far would you get in your business if I said to you, what are your goals for your business? And you said, well, I want to be a good CEO. You know, I want to, I want to just do a good job. That's my goal. I mean, you, you'd be dead in the water. What makes you think that you can get away with general, non-specific, non-thought-out goals for the important things in your life, the relationships? Why don't you have goals as specific for the people in your life as you do for your business? And then a lot of times people will say, well, I can't set goals for other people. No, no, no. I'm not saying you set them for other people. But you can decide what kind of a relationship you want to have with your wife five years from now. Oh, how would I do that? I mean, you know, it doesn't lend itself to quantification. I can't can't set these stepping stone goals. How would I do it? And we say to people, look, write a description of the relationship of you and your spouse five years from today, in the year 2020, in the month of August. Write a description of the trust level, of the sharing level, of how you do things together, of how you operate as a couple. Write it down, and that's what a goal is. It's A goal is a clear picture of the way you want something to be, and we still get pushback. People say, oh, I don't want to do that because then if I get, if I get five years out and, and it's not that good, I'll feel like a failure. And we say, well, you, that's true of any goal. If you set a goal to make a million dollars next week and you don't reach it, are you going to say you're a failure? No, you're going to say I did my best. I got further than I would have otherwise. Same thing with relationship goals.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. And to have that, uh, the think and see that vision out front and and then to set the ways that you're going to work on it and actually visualize it and feel it is so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's a great value. Now, I have just a question here before we get to your book. I have a couple of questions on that. But so what you and Linda have accomplished really is extraordinary even with the wonderful success and influence that you've had all over uh, you've had to learn some lessons along the way so are there some things that you would have done differently say with your business or life or marriage or raising children with the perspective that you have today so what are some lessons that you've learned along the way that might be helpful for the listeners
2: Well, I'm going to surprise you. Maybe I won't surprise you, such good friends, Steve. But I may surprise some listeners with this answer. I, I have a second favorite word that, to me, is a good compliment to serendipity. And and by by pure luck, it uh, it is also a word that has eleven letters, and it also starts with an S. So here's a second. 11-letter S-word that is kind of, to me, a bookend to go with serendipity, and it's the word stewardship. And what I mean by that is that I think people who think too much in terms of ownership end up in a lot of trouble in their spiritual lives and maybe even in their emotional lives. In other words, if your goal is to accumulate to own more and more things if you have pride of ownership if you like think in terms of I've got to have a bigger better house than my neighbor and I've got to have more cars and I need to go on better vacations I want to own the world and, and you hear the old uh, cliche that uh, people say oh I'm not greedy I just all I want is the land next to mine and you see that never ends it just never ends And I think that when you adopt an attitude, and this is the answer to your question, I wish I'd figured this out sooner, because I think I lived a large part of my early life in a competitive mode, trying to have more and own more than other people. And it took me a while to realize that that was a crock, that in fact, we don't really own anything. I mean... If you're a religious person, the best way to say it is God owns everything and you just sort of pass through this life. But even, even if you're not a person of faith, it's pretty easy to recognize that things are transitory. You, you might have it today and someone else might have it tomorrow. And a much better concept is to think I'm a steward. I have some control over certain things in my life. I may, I may or may not deserve it. But what's important is that I do the best I can with the stewardships that I have. I don't feel pride in them. I feel a responsibility for them. I feel a stewardship for them, and I want to do my best. And I think that creates a person who's humble and who may accomplish a great deal, but he remains magnanimous. He remains humble. He remains approachable. And that's the kind of people everyone wants to work for. If if you had a choice between a boss who thought he owned you and a boss who thought he was a steward over your employment, which one would you work for? Yeah,
1: no Yeah, no question. Oh, what a great message that is. What a great message. Thank you for sharing that. And really, in a sense, one of the greatest goals any of us can have, especially in this spirit of stewardship, is to leave the world a better place than when we found it.
2: Absolutely. And that that translates into this wonderful word legacy, which, you know, your friend and mine, Steve, I mean, Stephen Covey (laughs) is sort of the the patron saint of of the word legacy. And uh, that's really what this new book is about. I mean, a lot of people would say, well, hey, you're writing this book for baby boomers. These are people in their 50s and 60s. You better talk to them about how to have more comfort, how to how to find a better golf course, how to how to relax a little better, how to just sort of sit there and watch the world go by. On the contrary, our our <laughs> view is that our view is that when you're in your fifties or sixties, you now have your full power. You you may not be able to run a hundred yard dash as fast as you could when you were twenty years old, but you have so you have accumulated so much wisdom and knowledge and experience. That you're in a position now in this autumn of your life to, to do more for the world and for the legacy you're going to leave and for your family by far than you ever have been before. And, and to borrow another phrase from our good friend Stephen Covey, to live your life in crescendo. I love that musical term that when you're at a symphony... You know, you might have some good first and second movements, but you like the symphony to end with crescendo, with its biggest movements, its biggest sound, and that's how our and that's why we decided to name the book "Life in Full." You know, when we, when we would poll people, what's your biggest fear as you get older? The word that kept coming up over and over again was emptiness. I'm a, I'm afraid my life will become empty as I get older. And, and so the whole idea of this book is to say, on the contrary, your life, if you manage it properly, if you take care of yourself and of your family and of your potential, your life will become fuller and fuller and fuller. And that indeed should be your goal. That should be what we're all working for. you got to protect certain things. I mean, um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about putting this book together is is, you know, starting with things like perspective. You know, you're not really as old as you think you are. You've probably got another 20, 30 good years. And then once you've got the perspective, how do you plan? How do you plan for the future? And there's some tips on that that work better for people that are in that phase of life. But then protection, what do you, what do you have to protect? Well, basically three things. you got to take care of your health. you got to take care of your wealth, whatever you've got, whether you've got a lot or a little, you've got to be a good steward over it, to use that word again. And then the third one surprises some people as we've started touring with the book. The third thing you've got to protect is your faith. Because if you become cynical, if you become bitter, if you become negative, you're going you're to throw it all away. And whatever faith you've got, now is the time to try to protect it. And then the last part of the book, as you would know, Steve, Is posterity, what are you going to do for your family in this final act of your glorious, full life that you're trying to live?
1: Well, this is a book, really, that every person should invest in. I'm not kidding, because it's not just a book for older people, as you said, although it will give great insights of how to live these later part of your years uh, to the fullest. Uh, but this is a book that would be helpful for a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, so that they can plan their life literally to live it in full. It's just not about those later years. It's it's how do we make it all count. So this is a fabulous book, folks. You're,
2: you're, you're great to mention that, Steve, because that's, you know, it's like the old adage, it's best to start early, but it's never too late, right? So if you're a baby boomer, if you're in your 50s or 60s, you ought to read this book because that it's about you. It's about this phase of your life. But if you're a 20 or 30-year-old, man, <laughs> if you can start living the principle. It's like investing, right? It's like the old story. If you start investing early, you're going to be a lot richer later on than if you invest more money but start later, right? And it's like when we give parenting lectures – we love it if someone comes up and says, you know, we don't have kids yet, but we came to your lecture because we want to do it right when we do have kids. Now that, I love that attitude. That's like saying, we're not going to wait till we have problems and then try to solve them. We want to start living a full life as early as
1: we can. So one of the things we talked about was to think about what our vision looks like in life and setting worthwhile exciting inspirational goals that brings greater fullness to our life Uh, I guarantee I've had the chance to read this manuscript before it uh, came out in the book form and the man in the book by the way I've already gone through the book is better than the manuscript
2: well thank you it should be
1: well it is it's great and so what this does is it will inform you educate you about the type of goals that are meaningful for you that bring greater fullness in life so okay great job on the book well let's wrap it up our time's kind of getting down a
2: real real quick interjection on that people are scared of setting goals this book suggests you start out with some empty folders have a folder on your health a folder on your bucket list a folder on the service you want to give goals will come easily if you start thinking about what do you want to do
1: Okay, good. All right. That's a good idea. So what's the best piece of advice or quote or guiding principle that significantly helped you, which you can share with the becoming your best listeners?
2: Well, I would, I, you know, I, I love the Teddy Roosevelt quote that I'm sure everyone has heard before, but I keep going back to it because I love the line, in the battle of life, it is not the critic who counts. <laughs> and the points out where the strong man stumbled or the doer of the deed could have done better. The credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena. And then it goes on. But, but you, you need the, the thing people need to understand is that life is not a spectator sport. That it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall short. What's not okay is to not be in the arena. And and so my advice to people, and it applies at any age, but especially in these senior years that many people are moving toward, don't let fear control your life. Get involved. Do the things that you think about. Don't just think about them.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Now, how can our listeners find out more about, about what you're doing and how to get information on your new book, about all of the wonderful things you've done. Do you have a website? How can we go to get more? I'd say two,
2: two key websites, Steve. One is called valuesparenting.com. All that, that strength- you've
1: done so much of in your career. You've, you've touched tens of thousands of families and uh, young people. So tell us just a small amount about that.
2: Well, don't, yeah, don't let the term, it's not just a site about parenting, but the, remember the title is valuesparenting.com with all those words and letters strung together. Values with an S, parenting.com. Good. But, but the reason that's a good place to start is that's like an index site. That'll show our different books. That'll show the parenting programs we're doing. That'll show where we're speaking. That'll pretty much show everything, and uh the other one is TheIres.com, just our last name, Ires, Ayers, TheIres.com, which gives our, our speaking and some of the things we're doing. And by the way, you'll also find a click on both of those sites that goes to our whole family. One of the things I'm happy about, you mentioned our nine children, that blows some people away. They're like, what were you <laughs> thinking? Well, the, the nice thing about it is these kids have picked up picked up the torch. They're not kids now, they're... They're accomplished adults, but it's also an index to their, several of them are authors. And so it'll give you a a feed into some of the things our our family's doing as well as just Linda and I by ourselves.
1: Well, that's That's wonderful. Well, this concludes our interview with Rick Iyer, a businessman, author, family man, and a wonderful, inspirational person that I Love being able to call as a friend. It's been great to be with you, Rick.
2: Tennis player, too. Don't forget that one. (laughs) Yeah, par excellence. Great to be with you, Steve. And I'll say one thing to your listeners. Uh, Listen to Steve's guests, but really listen to Steve, too. He's taught me a lot.
1: Well, thank you. To all of our BYB Becoming Your Best family, remember that one person can make a difference and you can be that ripple effect. So I invite you to share this podcast with your family, friends, or coworkers, and please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. That's how you can help spread this powerful message around the world. Well, I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day.
0: thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the becoming your best podcast we want to know what your big takeaways were so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode also if you haven't done so yet please go subscribe to the podcast on itunes and leave a rating and review A rating interview is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.